and amen. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 15. They're looking at verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I wonder how many of us this morning have ever ever read the story of the prodigal son or heard the story of the prodigal son. Raise your hand. I mean, I'm sure probably most of us at some time we've encountered the story. In fact, we call this the nod of recognition. And so when the pastor or maybe the teacher says, okay, here's the text, here's the story. And so we give it a nod. Okay, we understand. We've heard that story. And in fact, uh, there may be such familiarity that we're able to contribute. We have our own thoughts, our own ideas in regards to what is the story saying to us. And so so we understand when I say the prodigal son, we, we immediately connect. We would probably agree with the prodigal would be one that would be noticed as being wasteful or extravagant or an individual with impudent behavior, you know, re- using resources recklessly. We'd probably agree with that, right? We talk about the prodigal son. So re- using resources recklessly. But I, I think there's something else here. I think there, there's something else going on, and that is really, at least for the prodigal son, there is this disconnect. There is the disconnect of, uh, of what it, it means to really make good decisions in life, the disconnect of what, you know, what is logical or what makes sense in life. And, and I think oftentimes we kind of fall into the trap where we find ourselves maybe disconnecting. Okay, here's a bad decision and there's a, another bad decision. And we're kind of disconnecting with not only what is spiritual truth, but what is logic in life. The, the disconnect causes a problem. I I, I will never forget that evening when my son and I drove home. Well, actually, it was the evening before this happened. My son and I drove home a, a pickup he had bought. He had bought it like a 20-year-old Dodge pickup. Anybody know about 20-year-old Dodge pickups? Okay, there are trouble. So anyhow, we help him get the pickup home. It's running fine. We get it in the driveway. He paid about $800 for the truck. I mean, it was a rust bucket, guys. And, uh, and so, but it had big tires and nice wheels. That's why I wanted it. So anyhow, we get the thing home in the driveway. Well, the very next evening after we both got off work, um, he went to start it up and it wouldn't start. Well, being a dad, you know, Paul, I wanted to be a good father and act like I'm a mechanic. So I crawl up underneath the truck and I'm banging and turning and twisting. And I got some tools there with me. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I get up and I open the hood and I'm trying to figure this thing out. Can't get it started. So so I, I decide, you know, son, I can't I can't figure this out. Let's call little Tony. Now, little Tony, this is a buddy of mine that's a member of our church. Little Tony is about 450 pounds and six foot three. Okay. He calls me Big Tony. So I'm Big Tony. He's Little Tony. And so I call Little Tony on the phone. Little Tony shows up and he has a pickup and his big son gets out of the truck. He also about 6'3". He gets out of the truck, walks around the truck. Now, I am not exaggerating. This is exactly how it happened. No exaggeration. He gets out of the truck. He points like this to his son. His son jumps in my son's truck. His son jumps in my son's truck, gets behind the wheel. And Big Tony looks at the uh, sticks his head underneath the hood. He pulls out a screwdriver from his back pocket. He fiddles around, boo-da-boom, boo-da-bang, and all of a sudden, he says, turn the key. He turns the key in 15 
15 seconds he had that truck running. I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed that I could not fix it, but he was able to fix the truck. You know, it's good to have a friend like that, right? It's good to have a mechanic, you know, it's part of the, your, your list of friends. But the problem was, was the disconnect. There was something that was, you know, that was stopping the current of electricity. And I think that electrical current is a lot like life. I mean, you break the flow, you know, you have a spiritual short circuit, so to speak, or, or you know, as far as wisdom goes in making decisions, then, then, then that creates problems. In fact, I would say this. I mean, you've heard this before, that we are our own worst enemies. How many would agree with that? That we can really be our own worst enemies. Well, too often we short-circuit our own life with, with maybe a bad attitude or what I am calling here for this prodigal son, hogpen mentality. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because you see, when you're like a hog, <laughs> you're all about self. And you see, pigs are about self. I mean, they squeak and they squill and they make all kinds of troubles. They bump the other person out of the way. I mean, the hogs, what they want because they want it. I, I lived in Florida for about 10 years and we lived near kind of a wooded area. And there was these feral wild hogs that lived in the woods. And they would get into our neighborhood and they'd root around and they'd tear up our nice landscaping and our lawn and the neighbor's lawns. I mean, it was frustrating. And they didn't care because they were pigs. They, they just didn't care. I mean, they, they were making bad decisions coming into my yard. And I think sometimes we fall into that trap that we are just making, you know, one bad decision after another. I look at this passage here and, you know, Jesus was given a, a series of lessons challenging the status quo and specifically on how we think and do life. In fact, Jesus was upending you know, our spiritual understanding, or at least the spiritual understanding of the establishment. He was, he was redefining things. He was redefining faith and, and talking about faith, not according to, you know, what I think faith is, but faith according to the kingdom of God. We know that. And the first hint of that is when, when the critics say to Jesus, this man welcomes sinners. Well, hallelujah. Because you can imagine what would, where we'd all be if God didn't welcome sinners, Right. Because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, this chapter is filled with optimism, stories of people and things that get lost, and then tremendous celebration when they're found. In fact, the first couple parables in the chapter talks about the sheep that's getting lost, and of course, and then the woman that loses the coin. But let's stop and think about it for a moment. I mean, the nature of sheep because they're kind of a dumb animal, and so they have to have a shepherd. You know, they have to be cared for. So the nature of sheep is they get lost. That's just in their nature. And a coin is is misplaced. So a, a coin kind of has to be, you know, given attention to in regards to, you know, knowing where it's at. It's in the coin purse. It's on the dresser. So the coin gets lost because of neglect. So So it's in the sheep's nature to get lost. And the coin gets lost because of neglect, but sons. Sons get lost by choice, unless they're very, very young and they're wandering off like a toddler. But you see, as the son, if he's of age, they get lost by choice. Remember, Jesus is challenging how we think and do life in in the passage here. And it's similar to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. And looking at verses 1 and 2, you're familiar with that passage also. When we read, therefore, I urge you, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. But the thing with the living sacrifice is that it is a living sacrifice. And the living sacrifice may make a choice or choose to be a living sacrifice, to honor God, to please God, and to walk holy 
But the thing about the living sacrifice is the living sacrifice can make a new choice. The living sacrifice can make a a new choice and walk away or the living sacrifice can call off the altar. So there there there's some challenges when we talk about the living sacrifice. And then he goes a little bit further. He says, this is your true and proper worship that we are choosing to please God, choosing to follow God. And then in verse two of Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so it's necessary that we are renewing our minds spiritually sometimes. Why? Because we are living sacrifices. As living sacrifices, sometimes we have to be renewed in our spirit and in our spiritual mind because we get tempted and all of a sudden we realize that we're walking maybe on a path that we shouldn't be walking on or a path that we we wouldn't have walked on maybe a couple of years ago. And so there's this necessity for the renewing of our mind and the making something fresh and something new in our own spirit. And hopefully we come on Sunday morning and that's part of the process that we're reminded of how great God is and how good God is. And we're renewing our spirit and our desire to worship him and to know him and walk with him. Amen. That's part of our, our Sunday morning experience, that our, our mind is being renewed. We, we like renewal. We like when things are renovated. I, my wife watches HGTV. I, I don't know how many hours she watches that show. She loves the, you know, the Property Brothers, right? And the Gaines Lady, what is that? What, is, what show is that? Is that Flip or Flop or something like that? And so what they do is they're renovating. They are remodeling homes and they, they go into the home and they tear this wall out and they take these cabinets out and they bring in new things and a new wall, and new crown molding, a new carpeting, a new flooring. They take out the old, and they take out what is moldy and they take out what does not belong. And then they're refreshed and they're made new. It's fun when things are made new. And you say, well, pastor, how do we renew our spiritual mind? Well, what does the passage allude to here in Romans chapter 12? We do it in two ways. One, by bathing our mind in the word. We bathe our mind in the word. That means that that we spend time in the word. That is why the word is important. That's why I say, do you have the word with you? We want to stand in the word and allow the word to wash over us and to renew our mind and to renew our spirit and our relationship that we have with the father. And so we bathe our mind in the word. And this is our faith, living it out through the word and in the word. And then the second thing, what what did we just read there? We offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. So this is how we renew our minds. That's the process the scripture gives us. And, and then, of course, Paul knows, and Jesus was teaching that God and self, now note this, young people, that God and self cannot occupy the same space. You see, that was the issue with the prodigal son, you know, the, the honor that he had to his father and then what he wanted for himself could not occupy the same space and therefore resulted in struggles in his life. And the prodigal son's struggles was not with this world or the circumstances or whatever excuse that he could come up with. And, and you know, that's what happens is the weakest link usually blames the strongest link in in the community or in the family unit, you know, the one that is a bad decision maker will oftentimes blame the, the best decision maker in the family. So the weakest link says it's their fault. It's your fault. See, it's your fault that I'm this way. 
And so we find this human dynamic and we continue to make bad decisions because we're not taking ownership over our own lives. And so we're blaming everybody else but the one that needs to take ownership, which is self. Amen. I, uh, I, I was moved. I've never forgotten this quote this man shared with me. I'm not sure if he read it somewhere or where it came from, but he shared this quote with me on Sunday morning in the foyer one day. He said, you sow a certain kind of seed long enough. Listen to this, teenagers. You sow a certain kind of seed long enough, it will eventually catch up with you. And we may think we're getting away with it. We may think that, you know, there's not, you know, you know, we're getting, you know, we're doing it. No one is seeing. But eventually, you see, it will it will catch up with us. So what caused this this youngest son to end up where he ended up? And I, I'm not sure it was not the resulting condition of being in the hog pen of what he was seeking, that that's what he was shooting at. No, no question. His poor condition, his bad conditions, by all indication, was clearly a result of the series of bad decisions that he was making in life. And sometimes we get stuck in that rut. You know what I'm saying? We get stuck where we're making one bad decision and then another bad decision. And, and maybe it's been some time in your life or maybe a, a group of years of your life that you got caught in that rut and you're making bad decision after bad decision. And you're saying, man, how do I get out of this rut? You see, for this young man, for this prodigal son, it was not because of his home situation. He had a pretty good home situation, according to all counts in the passage. Look at the scripture there for a moment. It seems like everything was good at home. It, it was not because he was lacking anything. I mean, he had love. His father loved him. He had status. In fact, as they would celebrate, in fact, we'll get to that next Sunday. But as they celebrate the prodigal son's return, he gives them a, a signet ring. The father gives them a signet ring, which is kind of what they use to access the family credit line. And so he had, you know, he had resources. He had status. He had the love of his father. It's not that he didn't have a future, he had an inheritance. We see that. We read that right here. And I'm not judging the young man's salvation, but we're back to what Paul admonishes as an issue and an obstacle in spiritual life. And this is key. The obstacle in spiritual life is the same issue that he was dealing with, and that was self. You see, self was getting in the way. You know, he was about his own interests. He was about his own preferences. He was about what he wanted, not maybe what would honor his father, not what, you know, God would desire for him. But he is so wrapped up in self and it becomes such a weakness that he continues on his path. In fact, he gets so far down the path, he's ending up eating with the pigs. And he has this, when I say this hog pen mentality. So how does he get there? I mean, that's the question. How does he get there? And we're just laying the foundation for next Sunday. But I want to walk through this with you this morning. Let's walk through it together. How does he get there? How does he get to the place that he is at that we're reading about this morning? We'll look at verse 12. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing in verse 12. He wanted satisfaction now. He wanted satisfaction now. That's a dangerous place to be. You know, to say, I got to have satisfaction, you know, I, I need to be, you know, satisfied right now because that creates a, a behavior of living that's based on impulses and based on emotions. I was watching a TV documentary, a program where a doctor was explaining problems uh, with drugs and alcohol and how those addictions alters the chemicals of the brain, 
which results in a lack of impulse control. And so, you know, what happens, the chemicals start to change in the brain. How many have read that before? You've read that. The chemicals begin to change, and so it affects their impulse control, and then that drags them into the future with that, that challenge that they're facing, that issue that they're less, you know, wrestling with as far as that addiction goes. And, and so there's this, this lack of control for what they want right now. It sounds like Paul's articulation of the spiritual battle that believers faith in Romans uh, chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is screaming out. He's saying, what a wretched man I am. When I want to do good, I see the law of God in my mind, but the law of the flesh is right there with me. So there is the law of God. I understand it in my mind, but in my body, there is the flesh that is, you know, raging and waging this war against the law of God. And, and so you can imagine that spiritual battle that is taking place in the mind and the heart of Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. And, and I'm thinking about our, our youth this morning because I, I, I just, I'm watching what's going on in our world, in our society, and our loyalty is not to our flesh. Because I know what happens when we follow the pull of the flesh and the wooing of the flesh and I know that there is this temptation in this world in, in which we live that is so huge. And if we live according to the flesh in Romans chapter 8, it says that the result of living according to the flesh is death. Because the reason why God has something that is glorious, that is planned for you. And I believe that if we can understand that, that we do not have to follow the gratification of the flesh, that we can be committed to the things that God has called us to be committed to, there will be glory and there will be peace and there will be fulfillment like you've never experienced in your life. Amen. Now, I, I, I don't know if I should mention this, but man, I decided as a young man, I wanted to be pure for marriage. And I stayed pure until, you know, of course, Heidi came into my life and we got married. And, and man, what a joy it is to have the blessing as God has intended. And so there is this challenge for us to be committed and to be pure for the glory of God and to be careful of the immediate gratification of our flesh. One psychology review talks about the problem of of immediate gratification. And the problem of immediate gratification, by the way, the article calls it the pig, which is perfect for my sermon this morning. The acronym is the problem with immediate gratification, the pig, refers to the universal principle that immediacy is the primary motivation rather than delayed satisfaction. Impulsivity is defined, this is the article, impulsivity is defined as the tendency to choose a small reward now at the expense of a larger reward later. In other words, you know, I'll take the dollar bill now versus $10 later. Alternatively, impulsivity can mean avoiding a small punishment now in exchange for a big punishment later, i.e. going to the dentist. For an example, we go to the dentist now, a little expense, a little pain. If we wait too long, we delay it some years. It's more expense, it's more pain. You, you, you get the picture. The relationship between immediacy of a payoff and the magnitude of its influence on behavior is hyperbolic. So when the incentive is nearby in terms of time, space, and psychological distance, it can be awfully influential on real-time behavior. So in Lehman's terms, it's saying this, that if, if temptation is nearby, and the closer that temptation is, 
the greater chance, the greater percentage that you will respond and you will break in and you will submit to that temptation. So you see, the Bible is very logical in the idea that we are to avoid temptation, that we are to walk around temptation, that if there is something there that is tempting, that we place it away from us or we do not go to that space or that place, and that we're very careful and that we're very cautious. Now, there's some simple statements I want to share with you, and they're not the maybe spiritual, touchy type of message that you're looking for, but I need to make these statements. Common sense and spiritual sense Reward the patient and disciplined. If you're writing something down, write that down. Common sense and spiritual sense reward the patient and disciplined. The second one is this. Immediate gratification is contrary. Note this. Immediate gratification is contrary to Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. When you read, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you see the logic there scripture gives us is that this is delayed satisfaction. That means that we seek first the kingdom. We have right relationship with God and seek holiness. And then all of these other things and all of this gratification or, or those things that we desire, God will give us. He will give us the desires of our heart as we seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. So immediate gratification is contrary to Matthew 633. Again, we're answering the question, how did this young man, how did the prodigal son get where he was? He wanted satisfaction now. That was the beginning of his fall. Here's the second one. He left the family. Look at verse 13. So this is really not only his moral, but it's his spiritual support. And so you see fellowship together. This it matters. Youth ministry, you know, our college ministry, us being in community, it matters. It matters that we have support and we we encourage each other and we support each other. And it is about each other in in community with Christ and keeping a focus on Jesus and not just about self. It's not just about self. I, I can imagine, and I'm just having fun today, but I can imagine this young prodigal enjoying the song by Toby Keith. I want to talk about me. Anybody ever hear that song? He's a country western singer. And he, he sings a song called I Want to Talk About Me. Here's the chorus. Here's how the chorus goes. You need to listen to it. It's kind of a fun song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, you, you usually. But occasionally I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me. And so this is this classic idea that grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And, and I know that each of us in every generation, we have to work it out ourselves and how, you know, discovery happens and how life unfolds. And I understand that. But hopefully we discover that joy is a deeper thing than just happiness. And we're not just pursuing happiness because joy has to do with direction and joy has to do with purpose in life and, and joy has to deal with serving others and following Jesus and, and his example and observing God's blessings that he's given us like family and children and, and just the breath that we have because joy is that deeper experience. While happiness tends to be a part of the me syndrome. And it's not that, that, that it's wrong to be happy, but I can't tell you how many, and these are generally probably middle-aged, older people. I can't tell you how many people have made this statement, or, and I want to quote them, I just want to be happy, and then it destroys their family. I just want to be happy, 
And then they make decisions based on self and their impulses and their emotions rather than based on what is God's will for my life and what is best for those that are around me that I need to honor and I need to respect. I just want to be happy. We look at the the prodigal son. I mean, what would have happened with his story if he would have just taken a little bit of caution? If the prodigal son would have just, you know, been a little bit more cautious, think about how his story would have turned out. Of course, we wouldn't have had the lesson if he did. But, but still, I'm, I'm wondering how much his life would change and, and how much better his life would have been if he'd been just a little bit cautious. But instead, we have this example that shows us what happens when an individual makes a series of bad decisions in life. So how did he get there? So we mentioned a couple things. Here's the last one. Here's how he got there, because, because he, he seemingly was on the right track, but then something changes, and then he goes down the wrong track. Here's what happens. He had a change of appetite. He had a change of appetite. Looking at verse 16. When our appetite changes, now here's my statement to define this this point. When our appetite changes from the holy to the hollow, something is wrong. I can guarantee you that life will begin to take a turn for the worse and things will become difficult when you begin to have a lack of hunger or appetite for what is holy. And when your appetite changes from the holy to the hollow, Something's going to go wrong. We look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 and we read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So you see the key that there is this satisfaction as we are hungering for righteousness and thirsting for the presence of God in our lives. And then in, in John chapter 6, around verse 33, we read, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And then in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land, there is no water but you see, it's God that satisfies it. God's that feeds and nourishes our soul. I mean, God is our hope. Amen. Whenever we get our eyes off of God and his will and his plans, and our eyes are focused only on self, this is our point, our eyes are only focused on ourself, then peace and fulfillment will become as distant as a forgotten dream. Become as distant as a forgotten dream. And you'll say, why am I not at peace? Why do I not have fulfillment in life? Because our eyes are not on our creator. Our eyes are not on God. And we get our eyes off of God and we get our eyes on self. Then what happens is we miss out on peace and fulfillment in life. And I believe that God is, is inviting us, he's challenging us this morning, believer, to put our eyes and to focus our eyes on him and to focus our eyes on Jesus and to keep our eyes off of ourselves but onto others and what God has called us to be for his glory and his kingdom. Amen. I'm going to invite us just to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Let's do that together. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for, Lord, just giving us an opportunity this morning to, to focus our eyes upon you. Lord, as you just are kind of laying a foundation, a work, Lord, for what you want to share next Sunday with us, it's possible that you're stirring a heart right now. 
you're stirring somebody's somebody's thinking and they're just saying, Lord, I need to focus on you. I have been focused on self. Or maybe somebody else is just kind of wrestling with something that they know is not pleasing you. I pray, Lord, that you would be with that one, that young man or that young woman right now that is saying, God, let me be focused. Help me be focused on you, Jesus. That you might be lifted up and glorified in my life. That I might be set free of this this chain that binds me. That, Father in heaven, that I might be set free of this, this habit that I'm haunted with. That I might have my eyes focused on you, Jesus. That I might lift you up. I might follow you, Lord, in my life. Our heads bowed and eyes closed and the Lord's speaking to you right now. I want to invite you just to whisper that prayer to yourself, saying, Lord, help me to focus my eyes on you. Help me, Lord Jesus, to to readjust that part of my life that needs to be readjusted. Lord, help me understand that I'm a living sacrifice. And even daily, as often as daily, I need to choose. I need to make a choice to be a living sacrifice, to follow Christ, to glorify God, to live a holy life. Help me, Lord, as a living sacrifice to make that choice to follow you right now, Lord Jesus. I just lift my hand to say, Lord, I want to follow you. Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. You're praying that way just between you and the Lord. Just lift your hand up. Say, Lord, I want to, I want to follow you. I just want to make that choice. I want to make sure that I'm just following you, Father. Lord, I want to follow you in my life. Every decision, every turn, whatever the temptation is, whatever the challenges might be, Lord, I just lift my hand up and I say, Lord, I'm following you. God bless you, a few of you. Anybody else, just lift your hands. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. That's my choice. My eyes are going to be on you. Not on this world. Not on things around me. Not on the distractions of life. But Lord Jesus, I want to live holy. I want to live in a way that pleases you, that honors you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for responding to those that are just praying and just lifting their voice to you right now. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you. We thank you, Father, for reminding us that, Lord, we end up on the path we're on oftentimes by the choices we make. And it's possible that today, this morning, is going to be an about face for somebody. Somebody's going to make a turn here. They're going to get off the path that they're on and they're going to do an about face and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to keep my focus on you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I want to serve you. I pray all these things in Christ's name.